Welcome to another episode of The Corner Booth, the official podcast of RestaurantOwner.com and Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine. Today, the restaurant industry is changing faster than ever. Learn from successful independent restaurant operators and other industry leaders as they share best practices that will help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business. Running a restaurant involves making a lot of tough decisions, but choosing Touch Bistro's POS isn't one of them. Our sponsor, Touch Bistro, offers an all-in-one POS and restaurant management system that's easy to use, easy to manage, and easy to afford. Find out why thousands of restaurants trust Touch Bistro to help them simplify operations, increase sales, and deliver a great guest experience. Here are your hosts, Barry Schuster and Chris Tripoli. Hey, welcome everybody to another episode of Corner Booth. I'm Chris Tripoli. And I'm Barry Schuster, editor of Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine. Barry, this is kind of an interesting episode because we're going to be discussing a lot of things that I know are on the top of mind, independent operators, staff, management, development, et cetera, especially with the current situation that we're in. And our guest today to walk him through is none other than my brother, David Tripoli. Welcome, bro, to Corner Booth. I'm so honored to be here. What the <laughs> heck took so long? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is going to be fun. And I just think that the listeners always like to get uh, maybe a little background on, uh, on the people. So if you wouldn't mind, take a couple minutes and walk us through, you know, your personal history, how you got introduced to the business. I don't know what, what led you to be interested in the business. And we'll go from there. Well, I got interested in the business really through you, you know, being uh, the youngest of, of the brothers. It was a, a, a wonderful way to uh, be able to work part time, earn some money, save money for a first car and uh, be able to uh, feel the rewards of, of working. Restaurants were, were just, they're fun, a little chaotic, a great mix of people. Uh, it was uh, as much of a social atmosphere as it was as a hard working atmosphere, whether it was washing dishes or busting tables, cooking, what have you. But there's a reward of it knowing that uh, you're somewhat entertaining people. You were making people's day. You know, most of the restaurants I had the pleasure of working in were more than just somewhere to go make a meal. People were going there for an occasion. They were going there for an experience. And, you know, it may not have been the heavy themed experiential dining that we may talk about today, but you know, it, it was for that in its time. So it was uh, tremendously rewarding and it just stuck. It was something that I just didn't ever want to want to leave. It was uh, a, a personally rewarding. It, it allowed me to, uh, you know, financially save money, buy my first car. And when I moved out on my own and the flexible hours, especially when you're going to school uh, that fit in and so much like-mindedness of the other people that you worked with. And then I was in it long enough to realize that what's so special about the hospitality industry is there's not that many other industries out there that can create a pathway where you can start as an entry-level employee and work your way towards a leadership position. And, you know, I was blessed to be able to do that through uh, uh, organizations and and really start my, my leadership career, formal training in that at TGI Fridays many, many years ago, probably longer than I care to admit. Uh, after Fridays, I had the, the, the joy and the honor that uh, I was picked to be the opening general manager for the first Fat Franks uh, that was owned by my brother. A tremendous opportunity. And it was uh, uh, my first experience at uh, opening restaurants that were being built from the ground up, hiring the entire staff, that had ever worked together before. Uh, and then when we went to open our second or third location, putting training teams together, writing training systems, following all the wonderful inventory controls and operating policies that I was able to you know, learn from Fridays and then be able to implement uh, at, uh, at Fat Franks. And, and again, just a, a wonderful time at that time of, uh, of my life with like-minded people, same, about the same age group that uh, we, we really had, you know, the word culture may not have been used then like it is now, 
it really was a fun atmosphere where people were encouraged to be themselves and their personalities. And yeah, it was, it was much more than just serving burgers and chili and, and, and French fries. It was uh, probably the first time I realized that as a leader in operating a business, you're really responsible for the employees' livelihoods and what they were working for to support themselves. It made me, that's probably a time in my life where I first felt like, wow, this is, this is much more important than a job for me. You came up through the industry at a very interesting time where there were a lot of paradigm shifts in some ways, maybe as many as today, um, but based on demographics, based on style of service, you saw all of these mid-range uh, casual places coming up and uh, very exciting. And then you have a special perspective having come up through that era and those ranks to uh, regarding what's happened in the last two years. And can you talk about your adaptation and what continues to work for you that worked for you 10, 15, 20 years ago and what you're, you have to basically rethink going forward. Well, you know, that's, that is an interesting, a very interesting perspective because uh, as I was working my way through restaurants and waiting tables, I was really at a higher end fine dining type of restaurant as a busboy that got trained to be a banquet waiter, that got to uh, do geared on service table side. And as I went into uh, my leadership career, Fridays was like the, the college and the industry, but it was fun. And so all of a sudden this casual restaurant boom of fun was, was happening. And, uh, um, you know, our industry has gone back and forth in that dining experience. But what does seem to resonate all the way throughout is purpose. I believe that the employees want to be part of a purpose and uh, they want to be to, to know they can be successful in a, a part of something that is larger than themselves. But how do they contribute and how is that clearly communicated and how are they supported in doing so? Um, those are, are questions that have to be answered uh, for the employee and supported by leadership. So you can accomplish what you want to get done and how they can grow their career. You know, this is a true story from my Friday's days when, when I ended my career and I gave my notice during my tenure, I had the same uh, regional director of operations. But I won't, I'll never forget Dan saying to me, oh, gosh, David, really, you're leaving? You know, I had such big plans for you. And I never forgot that as I left that, I thought, well, it would have been nice if I knew. You know, somebody could have told me. And so I, I think that you have to have a plan and a success path for your employees. You have to clearly communicate that plan, support them in their success, and provide them an element of fun to where they not only connect with the guests, but they can connect with each other. That, that's even more and more important today in, in keeping up. And now we do use the word culture, uh, you know, a culture that promotes that because the number one reason people leave a job isn't because of money or benefits or lack of opportunity of coworkers not committed to doing quality work. So creating a, a synergy and a culture for people to have a purpose and a common bond that they're working together on and, and holding to that purpose is, uh, is extremely important. A very specific question for you to draw on your area of expertise, which is leadership, staffing, systems. And I'm putting it in perspective personally from my son, who's early 20s, who's going into hospitality as a career, even to study it in school. I'll throw this out there, and, um, and I'm interested in your perspective. More and more and more, particularly in this period, I'm seeing the general manager as the wink, weak link to success and failure in terms of employee engagement, culture, and employee retention. Uh, mm -hmm. Am I being overstating anything here? No, I, I don't think so. And that's, you mentioned that word paradigm shift. You know, the, the, the old adage, and again, we experienced this in my Fridays, of that, you know, beat them up, beat them up mentality, work for people that are in charge, the general manager that's in charge of running the restaurant, he's in charge of the employees, uh, you know, the manager that used to be able to, these days are long gone, but say, hey, you know, I got a stack of applicants, 
if you don't want to do the job, you know, all of that, that, that thinking, that theory, that behavior really needs to be thrown out. Yeah, a, a good general manager is there to support and serve their employees. And, you know, you have to identify with what is it that you want to, your employees to accomplish to the end user customer. You know, to the leadership team and the general manager, your employees are your customer. Mm-hmm. And so you need to speak to them the way they need to be spoken to. You need to support them in their success. And that's how the end user customer wins. You know, there's great marketing departments in so many companies that study, how do I reach our customer? How do I speak to the customer the way they want to be spoken to? Good leadership, good general managers will take that same approach to their customer, which is their employee. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how do I need to reach them? What can I provide for them? And so it's it's different. You're never in charge of, you're in support of. You're there to help. Well, Chris, I've known you for years and I've never heard you not lead off with anything, but this is the people first business. I, I think so. I do. I think so. And I, and I think, you know, David's been in a very, uh, I think, unique position to have experienced that, say, more than I from initial years, uh, say, casual chains doing it well, small independence, and then for years and years in what we would consider more high end, you know, higher quality, which, which gives us different advantages, I think, with staff, but also different challenges, too. So, David, I'd like to have you speak with that, the, the principle of general management and leading the, the team and supporting staff. Um, how is it different? Uh, and and, um, and how, I don't know, what are the advantages and disadvantages in the different market segments? Because you've, you've experienced most of the market segments. Yeah, it, it, it used to be that you could, you know, have a restaurant or even want to grow a concept and uh, build a restaurant and then hire the gal or the guy. You know, you, you put it together, then you hire the team. And it was the, the secondary was hiring the team. The primary was I have to have the location and the rent and the right package and, you know, yada, yada. And, and, and really today, it's about continually developing the team from within. So you have the people to build your leadership around. It is a people first business. You know, it's your people, your product, and then your process. It's going to get you to profit. And people will always be number one. So you have to be able to look at what are you doing as a company? What are you doing as a culture uh, to attract people to not only want to work within your group, but what career path are you offering them? Going back to that Friday story, uh, what we were able to do very successfully at Trulux was provide every leader a continued development program. So they may have gone through their initial management training, but they also had their, could be 26 to 36 or 40 month plan of here's all the areas of the restaurant we're going to train you in that you're going to learn how to be responsible for. Uh, so you can learn it in its entirety. You also have to throw out the old theory thinking that that's going to make everybody well-rounded because you need to be a well-rounded leader. No, that doesn't work. What really has to happen is by people going through this process, you'll learn about them. You'll discover their strengths mm-hmm. and you want to exploit your people's strengths. So if they're really good at A, B, and C, but not D and E, then that's okay. The next person on the team you want to build should be good at D and E. So you assemble your people with similar but, but complementary um, you know, strengths that, that really will build the team. When you take people thinking they can do everything or they're going to be good at everything, then what happens is, you know, they may be doing something they don't want to do. I, I think all of us had the evaluations at some point where they said, you know, gosh, Barry, gosh, Chris, you're so good at A and B, but you're not good at C and D. So this quarter, our focus is going to be on C and D. Now that might work in elementary school where you're learning the basics of, you know, reading and writing and arithmetic, but in the work world, you're just taking the joy out of that person's job. So the more you can give them a job in which they'll be happy with, the better work they do. Well, you ultimately as the employer win 
because you're going to be able to exploit their strengths that's going to carry the ball for you. And so you, you really have to be able to evaluate talent differently. You have to be able to uh, uh, train you know, differently, know that you're supporting and know that your role is, is to develop a good, strong leader first, is willing to share their knowledge and skills and is willing to give of themselves to have others be successful. Those are really key elements of, uh, of your leaders and certainly the general manager who's responsible for following through on the development of the leadership team. So it, it true Lux, you weren't able to become a general manager till you were able to take people through training programs, develop them and show that you were able to do those. And, and it's a, a, a different thought process because some people get into leadership because they like being a leader because they want to be in charge. And again, you're not really in charge. It's, it's not about you. You have to put your ego aside just long enough to be successful and know that your real job is to be developing your team. And if you do that, then you can grow your company. Wow. Boy, that's a lot there. You know, Barry, how many times have we heard people, I think, you know, sort of misunderstand the goal of systems and consistency and training because they're very, very happy with this is what everyone does, step one. And this is what everyone does, step two. Then everyone does this, step three. And what I'm hearing with David talking about is that if you're really going to develop for the long term and you're really a good leader, you're going to assess that talent. You're going to accentuate their strength, which creates an awful lot of a, a, a higher need for flexibility. Have you had luck with that, uh, you know, David, with having sort of flexible training programs um, depending upon the assessment of the person? And is it work for staff as well as for developing managers? Uh, it, it, yes, it, it, it does. And we had now, it goes back to uh, uh, all of our, our managers' leadership team would uh, um, go through the uh, Clifton Strengths Finders. And there's five basic strengths that, that you know, everybody will, will have. And we would literally chart those and know that, you know, if you put a bunch of people with all the same strengths in the same room, you, you, you're not going to get done what needs to be done. And sometimes there could be too many alpha dogs in that scenario. Uh, but if you, if you had certain strengths, let's say like learner, uh, achiever, you know, those are strong, but some people's responsibility strength were higher than others that might be more deliberative. And, and so you, you have to be able to combine a team of those strengths to say, okay, now here's how we can get this done. And it really does show up. Those people that are analytical, those people that are systematic, those people that, you know, have to have structure, they are excellent beverage managers. They take inventory well, they order well, they follow the instructions well that's given to them. They don't mind the tediousness of going through the beverage delivery orders and the wines to make certain that not only was the price right, but the label's right and the vintage is right. All the X's and O's, they, may, they are great at that. Now, that same person may stumble on some of their connectivity goals and their, uh, uh, their opportunities with, you know, people and inspiring leadership. Now, again, the person who's more the, uh, uh, you know, great inspiring, great follow-up, great trainer, connected to the people, the outgoing person, that, that person is going to hate sitting there with these seven different invoices from all the different wine purveyors cross-checking into the PO, matching the prices, the vintage is different. Now I have to change the wine list. So you, you, again, you want to be able to utilize their strengths. And uh, the same approach works well with your, uh, uh, with, with, with your team on the, on the floor, with your employees, knowing, you know, you know who your go-to people are. You know who you can push. You, you, you know who can press. And you know those who you need to be able to support. And even if you're doing something as simple as the station assignments for that night, who, you know, and how your reservations lay out, then who, who do I really need in this station with some big tops and who do I need next to them? You know, that wouldn't really be that, that, uh, uh that, that person who, who's going to be the person who can take, you know, maybe 18 covers tonight and who's my 12 covers. And you, you have to strategize and put your, uh, even down to the floor 
assignments that way. This is very interesting to me. Um, this employee assessment process you're talking about, um, there isn't anyone in HR um, who's serious about the profession who who doesn't uh, believe that it, it's it's critical part of workforce planning. And we've written about it in the magazine. Um, the part that I've stumbled with is I completely believe that this is the way to go. But then I'm trying to imagine how an independent operator, particularly now when they're just struggling to get anybody qualified to do these positions, can do this stuff. And I get concerned that they're going to shortchange themselves because they're going to be hiring people for the wrong jobs who are not going to be happy and who are going to leave. Um, what's your solution for the, the smaller operator, David? Well, you know, the, the, the smaller operator may be at a, a, a bit of a disadvantage, but this isn't something that really requires corporate support, corporate overhead. This is what you're doing. You know, the, the truth is you may evaluate your employees formally twice a year at a written evaluation. But honestly, as a leader working that restaurant, you're evaluating your people every day. So giving, giving feedback, getting to know your people, learning about their needs, the, again, you know, we've, we've lost some of our ability in connectivity. Uh, you know, a lot of us like to blame social media for that. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, we don't spend the one-on-one the -on -one time that truly needs to happen to learn about our people. And, and whether you're independent or a corporate, no one, you know, the home office isn't going to fly in HR to interview your people for you. You need to be talking to your people day to day, shift to shift and coaching them on those opportunities. And that's where you're going to be able to evaluate their performance. Now, attracting today's employee, yes, that, that's a whole nother issue. Um, but I think our industry needs to look at itself very, very differently now. Uh, there are people rebuilding the restaurant business model. There uh, was a wonderful chapter on a, a restaurant in a segment I was watching called The Great Resignation. And, a, 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 and we, we can't be afraid to take some risk. And this is an independent, he's a chef owner restaurant in New York. Didn't think he was going to be able to reopen his restaurant after COVID. Just didn't think it would happen. Raised from the back house, whole life in the restaurant business. And so during the shutdown, he started, you know, thinking, why are people choosing out of hospitality? What, what are the challenges of hospitality? And boy, he had a pretty good list. You know, there's long hours, little pay, uh, you know, sometimes dealing with customers or, you know, is a difficult process. Restaurants are typically chaotic because, you know, we try to do so much. Um, and he, he really came up with some, uh, uh, some good things and uncertainty and come from his, Back in the, uh, the house, he knew that, boy, especially in New York, you know, people are having to work at least two jobs to make ends meet mm -hmm. uh, and, and what they're doing. So he did, he blew up his entire business plan. Now, this may not work for everybody, but these are things you must consider. One, he decided that, you know, I'm going to close two days a week. Crazy. He said he had a percentage rent, so that wasn't going to get too hurt on that. But he said, I want everyone to have two days off a week. I mean, if Chick-fil-A can do more volume and sales than every other, you know, fast food chain out there and be closed on Sundays, what, what's going to happen if I close two days a week, give people quality of life? Because that was a big deal. He also closed one hour earlier and didn't open to one hour later, which allowed him, instead of having to run two shifts, I'm going to run one shift. Because here I am trying to hire cooks to work five or six hours at lunch to chase them out, to bring the next crew in to work six or seven hours. And then both of those have to work other jobs to be able to make ends meet. So he offered a four day work week. You work four 12 hour shifts. He knew I'm gonna pay well, and that's gonna cost me overtime. Yeah. But I'm gonna get quality cooks, and I'm not gonna have the turnover, and they can have a set schedule and plan their life. He also looked at his menu and said, we're gonna blow up the menu, and only do those things we know we can do best. We don't need 45 items. Let's bring it down to 25 to 30 and, and do them best. And amazingly, that helped him with his inventory, you know, right? his inventory turns. It helped him with his training with his, his chefs. They were able to execute better. And it created an environment where the front of the house staff was trusting the kitchen because they were executing better. 
It also helped them hire front of house staff because there was less learning, less crap, less stuff, less things to do. On his front of the house staff, he paid above minimum wage and had everybody be involved in tip pooling. They were going to tip pool and I pay you above minimum wage. That makes it legal, but we're going to work together. And so he eliminated that whole layer of bustle. So he, he saved some dollars there. He evaluated the uh, uh, the takeout because the takeout business became huge. It was not dropping off. And in the takeout, people were tipping. I, I, Pre-COVID, I don't know if we ever thought people would be tipping like they do on takeout. But he also thought, why is it just the one person at the takeout counter? Why should they make all that money? I'm going to pay them well. They'll participate in tip pool. And so will the kitchen participate in the tip sure. from the takeout because they're the ones doing that work. Now, these guys are looking more like $28, $30 an hour, you know, mm-hmm. that they're able to, uh, to, to be able to earn. And so, you know, as he, as he restructured all of that, he, he reported that his business only dropped 15%, although he closed two days. Every hour was a more, of a more productive and profitable hour. So he eliminated those days that may have been less than break-even days and those hours that he really wasn't making money at by staying open a little later and opening at 11 instead of opening at noon. And so, you know, when you lose money, it's almost like you got you to gotta make it twice to get it back because you had it, lost it. Sure. You got to make it again and get it back, right? And so all of those things are how creative our industry needs to be able to, 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 to get. And if you're a larger chain, boy, there's even, there's, there's real big competition. I mean, even Whataburger, when they announced that, you know, the, the venture capital fund that bought them, that's going to grow them. When they announced that, boy, their general managers are going to make a hundred thousand dollars a year. They, they knew they had to set a benchmark and pay, but they also offered uh, the opportunity for entry level employees to go into leadership. They have 401k, they have medical benefits and they've got college support benefits these are all the things that you do have to consider. I missed going back to the guy in New York. The other thing he said he wasn't going to be afraid of anymore was menu pricing. See, he really tried to keep himself in a tight niche with menu pricing, but he's not, the world knows things are crazy. They know about the supply shortages. They see it in the grocery store. Why am I working so hard to keep my prices here? I'm going to lower my food cost and, and be able to make up some money there. You know, I, need to, I need to be reasonable with what I'm doing. And then also uh, going back to the other thing he did is he, he never allowed automatic tipping. And now he does allow automatic tipping and he still finds that the guest is tipping more than the automatic add on tipping, because it, that was one of the other drawbacks with the servers was, you know, the, the insurance of being able to make money. I think all those are going to be factors as we look at our business going forward. And uh, you know, people used to, uh, go in the fast food business because it was entry-level cheap labor. You're just not going to get away with that anymore. Above and beyond all that, I think your, your restaurant needs to have a purpose that you clearly communicate that every day you hold yourself accountable to. You know, uh, uh, trust. You, know, you want to build people's self-esteem. You want them to let them know that they're important and the job they do is important. And secondly, trust is so big, but this is where your example of the general manager, where it gets lost. Trust is, is the easiest thing to, to do, but we lose it because we simply don't do what we say we're going to do. If you simply just do what you say you're going to do, people will trust you. And, and, and that's when you're going to be able to follow. That's when they'll follow you. And that's when you can support and direct them to a, a desired result. But not until then. Our sponsor, Touch Bistro powers thousands of restaurants with its all-in-one POS and restaurant management platform. Beyond its exceptionally easy-to-use point of sale, Touch Bistro provides best-in-class customer engagement products for online ordering, loyalty, email marketing, and gift cards. Whether you're focused on restaurant operations or keeping customers coming back for more, Touch Bistro can help. And now, back to Chris and Barry. Well, there, you know, Barry, there are so many specific examples uh, that David just said that, uh, that I would be the first to admit that, yes, maybe not every company 
or not maybe every concept can do exactly. But I think the principles behind each one of these examples of re-examining menu, re-examining hours, re-examining the teamwork, re-examining uh, uh, you know, concept profitability, um, because you know, pricing is something that maybe can be adjusted in order to create that new sense of team where people feel um, more part of the purpose. Uh, I think that is something that every small independent can challenge themselves to do. Uh, they, rethinking the business model is probably what uh, uh, today's best leaders are, are facing there. It, yeah, I, I, got a lot out, I got a lot out of David's um, discussion here um, and some key points that I want to um, make uh, that David made, but that really impressed me. The competition for uh, employees is, is going to be won by operators who are willing to adapt their businesses to people's lifestyles, mm -hmm. flexibility. Um, another thing that uh, makes a lot of sense to me, you know, I brought up this whole conversation with workforce planning and uh, employee assessment techniques and all those models out there. Um, yeah, if you are a large company and you have to fill 50 jobs, 100 jobs a month, you've got, it's a fairly complex deal. But uh, I was hearing David correctly, hey, you don't have that, to, that challenge. So you want to do your employee assessment, talk to your employees, open up the channel of communication. Hey, what do you like doing? What don't you like doing? Do you enjoy doing this inventory stuff? Why? Well, I really, I really like organizing things. I like making sure everything's right. I don't really like it because I'm more of a people person. Um, if I'm hearing you correctly, David, I mean, you, you have that opportunity to do that assessment just in a more organic fashion rather than putting it in through some kind of test. And stop me if yeah. I'm if I'm misinterpreting. You no, know, no, you I, you're right. You're spot on. And David, I want you to explain, too, uh, how you came up with, because remember, I, I just saw um, not too long ago. But while we're on this assessment and evaluation, how you came up with really sort of a very short form way of engaging with the staff so that they had input, pretty much assessing themselves, coming up with strengths, weaknesses, a very short plan of action that they could feel good about, about improving in this area. Uh, maybe you could walk Barry through that. Yeah, I, uh, um, a friend of mine had a restaurant and, and uh, he hadn't been in the restaurant business, but he's got a very successful place. And he asked me if I would help him out because he was having a little bit of a mutiny on his hands with uh, his employees being upset about inconsistencies, things that weren't happening. And he's an owner, not a day-to-day -day operator. And so it was really easy for me to go in. And, and so I said, yeah, sure, you know, I, I could do that for you. But all I really need to do is talk to your people if you allow me to, to meet with your people. He said, no, that would be great. And so it was, it was good because I was the outside person that he introduced. And I would introduce myself to each of the staff members. Hey, this is an open forum it's confidential. I'm just the guy taking notes. And I got their feedback on what they thought the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats were to the business. And, you know, I took all the good notes. I charted it. I you know, was able to give to them. And there was so much surprise there. Like, oh, my gosh, this is what they like, you know, and here's what we're not doing well. And a lot of that weakness was that, you know, yeah, we do panic hires. The training's not as good as it, as it was. It puts pressure on the rest of us. They're a place that has 204 beers on tap and there's nobody doing beer training. And there, you know, it was, the, the interesting thing was the frustration that the staff was feeling was they actually want to do excellent work. They didn't feel they were being taught and led or had the opportunity to do that work. And, uh, and so it was really, it was, it was very interesting. You can, you need to be able to listen to the people doing the job in order to then see how can we do it better. I think that as responsible restaurateurs in today's environment, sometimes you don't get good answers unless you ask the really tough questions. I think, you know, two questions I would be asking, one really tough is, why are people not choosing me? You know, it's so easy for us to say, well, everybody's having employee problems and, you know, we're, we're doing all of our stuff now on, you know, Post and LinkedIn and or it's Indeed's fault or it's this, that and the other. But no, well, why are people not choosing you? 
And, you know, I think the guy in New York really did assess what, what part of the challenges were, you know, and, uh, and sometimes that's, that, that's hard to admit. And then I think the next question is a, res, uh, a responsible employer is you have to be able to answer the question to the employee, the one that matters to them most. And you have to be prepared to answer this one first. What's in it for me? If you aren't answering to the employee, what's in it for them? You're way behind. And so they have an opportunity now to, to know that the market has shifted into their favor and they're going to be applying with you and many others. So what's in it for them that's going to make it unique in, in an opportunity and what they can truly be a part of? And I also think that it's going to have restaurants um, hopefully maybe maybe loosen up uh, a, a little bit in terms of not standards of performance, but, uh, uh, you know, allowing people to uh, bring themselves to, uh, to, to the restaurant. And what I mean by that, you know, specifically is, you know, we get caught up in, you know, I mean, it wasn't that many years ago when you were like, oh, my gosh, we can't have visible tattoos in the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Really? Where's the market now? I mean, are you really going to hang on to that one? You know, oh, my gosh, you know, yeah, there, no ponytails. Okay. Is that really changing somebody's dining experience? Right. You know, uh, we get hung up on so many things that, you know, don't matter. And some of those fun concepts that are out there, it's, hey, you guys create the uniform. What do you want it to be? Uh, you know, there's, there's a way of engaging the employee in the process uh, and I, I've always felt that once people have their fingerprints into something, it, it's really hard for them to then give it up. And if they're a part of the process of putting things together, it works It works so much better. I'll give you a really, this is going to be a simple yet almost stupid example, but for years, there isn't a restaurant where the servers haven't complained about sidewalk. Right? I mean, oh, the sidewalk's not fair. This isn't fair. That isn't fair. And for some reason, we always thought the person that organized the sidewalk was the service manager. Well, the service manager said, this is the way it's done. So this is the way it needs to be done. You know how easy it was just to have the employee, get the employees to go say, hey, you guys are doing it. You're the ones complaining about it. This is the stuff that needs to be done. How do you want to have it be done? And it was amazing that not much changed, but since they did it, they weren't complaining about it. So the more you can incorporate your people, the, the better off they are. You don't have to do a menu tasting with your staff. And you don't have to even talk to them about, you know, sales and, and pricing. But if you do include them, you're going to get better feedback because who's dealing with the guest? Mm-hmm. They are. So the more you can, you can collect information from them, include them, and take away their obstacles, you know, if, if you're saying, oh, what are the biggest obstacles you have during a shift? Well, you know, it should be nice if we have more French presses, but I know they're expensive. Or, you know, the service bar gets bogged down because of this. If you ask those questions, it really is compelling how quick you can resolve issues. And how many uh, independent operators have we spoken to, at least maybe I'm speaking for myself, who haven't really looked internally? And if you ask them why they're struggling, it's because of, oh, Omicron, or it's the market, or it's like, darn employees. If I could just get good employees, they're blaming everybody else in the world for their problems, other than the fact that they haven't really taken a deep dive into their own operations and said, listen, I got to look in the mirror. What am I doing wrong here? And, And I think it has. I think maybe, you know, the slight silver lining, if there is any, uh, into, they say, the recent pandemic, is that operators are beginning to maybe see examples of what David's talking about. They are realizing that, you know what, this isn't just a stopgap. This is the new normal. I have to rethink my business model. That's the first step. They've got to embrace this change because the business model is changing. And then the second thing is all those simple things that David was just explaining. I was just sitting there thinking, God, I just don't understand why people had to wait for so much of a trauma in our, uh, on the people side of our industry to realize that simply engaging the staff is going to get them to bond with you better. And you're going to learn and probably get a lot of answers. So whether it's side work, whether it's, you know, uh, steps of service, improving the training, typically some of the staff have the answer. 
So if you just get them together and actually listen, it makes your job easier. And then they go out and perform better. So it's almost like it, it took something this bad for the operators to start thinking, wow, maybe I should rethink. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? And, and in that point, all those same processes need to be done with leadership. You know, if you are a multi-unit company, you know, it, when's the last time a, a, a leader asked one of the, the GMs, hey, what's the biggest challenge in your work? What can I do to help? You know, the, the, the idea of the corporate office is that administrative empire that is making me do a bunch of crap I don't want to do. You know, all that needs to be shoved down to the unit level. It needs all those, those the embracing the change, engaging and finding out what needs to be improve all that needs to go to the leadership level and then as owners you have to be willing to give that you know the there's a, a proverb out there you know that the, you know he who, who plants the tree in which the shade they know they'll never sit under is the one who truly benefits and so you know as an owner you have to say okay what can i do to keep people incentivized and, you know, let your, your leadership team incentivize your employees and incentivize your managers and celebrate things, whether it's an employee birthday, whether it's their work anniversary, make a big deal out of celebrating your people because they're the most important, you know, tool asset that you have and they're the most expensive. But if you can have happy employees, happy leadership, you'll end up with happy guests. But what we really do is, Instead of saying, I'm going to spend $10,000 on a recruiter to find me a new leader, you know, I'm going to invest in the leader I have because if they stay, it isn't just the loss of that leader and the $10,000 recruiter fee and then the training of the new manager. It's all those losses of getting them up to speed. What can we do to, to fix this environment? What can we do to keep productivity? And what are the incentives along the way to keep people working together as as, as partners. And so uh, that thought process has to truly be there to, to reward time, tenure, and performance. And that, that kind of has to be something that, that, that constantly happens because um, if you go into pre-shift and it's Susie's birthday and Susie gets a gift certificate to the restaurant or whatever the case may be, you know, there's enough of that that will happen at, at least once a week, somebody celebrating something in your staff so that that little buzz doesn't go away. You know, it, it, it stays there. It could be, again, the, 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 their birthday, their work anniversary, whatever the case might be. You know, it's interesting, Chris, as we're wrapping this up. And, you know, it, it, we've, we talked to a lot of operators who are in their 30s, just, you know, really getting going. And then we'll talk to veteran operators who, who have a lot of experience. And what's interesting to me, if, if I'm not reading too much into it, is with the pandemic, it isn't what I'm hearing from David. He's been doing these best practices and had these HR um, initiatives and, and ways of doing business for years and years and years. And now we're in a situation where, OK, we got your I got your attention now. You don't have a you don't have a choice anymore. These things that were best practices 20 years ago. They're not nice to have anymore. You, you got to adopt, adapt them if you're going to move forward. Am I getting it, David? No, you're getting it perfectly. And, and when we talk about leadership and leadership development, that part's so important because that young manager, they're, they're going to go to work every day knowing that they want to have a great shift, but they're also wondering about their future. And so you need to answer that question. Here's how we're going to grow, develop, and teach you about the restaurant industry. I mean, our industry, you can go from an employee to an owner. I mean, you really can. Now, that might be a franchise, Jimmy John's or Papa John's or Jersey Mike's or whatever, but it's, it's, a, it's an industry in which you can learn, you can grow, you don't have to go to college, so you don't have to have the big expense of higher learning, and we have to be willing to, to give in that sense of wanting to develop people that way. So there has to be clear objectives, a clear pathway, clear future, knowing of here's my road for my career. And I think that's going to be the only shot that you'll have for people to stay with you because there will be the restaurant who's going to give them a $5,000 signing bonus. So, you know, you want them to stay with you. So you have to think ahead for where they want to be. If I'm, if I'm hiring someone today, I better have a plan of where I believe that person is going to be with our company in five years 
if I want to hang on to it for five years. Mm-hmm. And I need to communicate that plan to them and let them know that I'm responsible for their journey too. Mm-hmm. Wow. I think what we need to do is just make sure that we can send every independent restaurant operator to the uh, David Tripoli School of Management Leadership Development. I think our writers are going to be talking to David going forward. I apologize <laughs> in advance, David. <laughs> but I have your email address now. so. <laughs> That's great. You know what I would love to do, bro, as a summary, okay, because uh, uh, if you could just kind of concise, if I was sitting at the table and said, look, here I am, I own a restaurant right now. I've got a couple managers. Um, I think they work hard. Uh, I think I'm a good owner, but I, but I, uh, what would you tell me to do? What should I be doing in order to kind of get the engagement going, get the empowerment going? Um, because I don't think I do anything good with my managers. Mm-hmm. I, I expect them to work hard. I expect them to run the numbers and clean the restaurant. But, you know, how do I get my engines going in the right direction? You know, be, be, be accessible, be available, be present and ask good questions of your leadership of what it is they need from you. And, and, and when I say be accessible and be, be available and present, I, I find that personally to be one of the largest challenges. When's the last time you sat in a, uh, a room with people where they didn't have their phone interrupt? or they weren't doing something else, or they didn't have a screen in front of them. This is a time when you get with them and there's there's no laptop, there's no screen, there's no phone. I used to love this exercise that, that uh, some friends of mine did is when the guys would get together and have lunch, the first person to reach for their phone had to pay the bill. It was amazing, it was amazing how you got to get caught up and have a good lunch just by not that not having that interruption, that that being present for them and, and listening to what, uh, you know, their needs are. What can I do to make your job easier? And then being consistent. Great questions to ask is, okay, where do you think we're at? Okay. Where do you think we need to go? All right. All right. What's your plan for how you want to get there? How can I support you? What do you need from me in order to get it done? Now that's the double-edged sword. I love ending conversations with that question because nine out of 10 times, a strong leader thinks the right answer is no, and it's not. But once you tell me no, now you hung yourself on your deliverable. So don't come back later saying, well, I didn't get it done because I didn't have this, didn't have that. Well, no, I asked you. And you said, so, you know, the follow-up is the same thing. Hey, you know, how are we doing? How are you doing? Where are we headed? What do you need? How, you know, how can I support you in that? What do you need from me? And I clearly ask the, the operator, especially if I was a single owner, what are your biggest challenges? What, then what can I help you with? Obviously, right now it might be, well, I'm, I'm having a hard time hiring. Okay, are we using the right venues? Are we saying the right things? You know, are, are we attracting the right people and giving them an atmosphere to work in? Because if I can get a, if we can get a good core group, good people attract good people. What's our turnover been? Why are we losing people? You know, really probe in and ask those questions. As owners, sometimes there's a disconnect of, oh no, let him operate, let, let him do it or she do it. And, and quite honestly, that's a, almost cowardly because it allows owners to blame somebody else later rather than take the responsibility of saying, what am I really creating? And that's where the owner has to sit back and ask themselves again, why did I go in this business? Is it a hobby? Is it a business? What's my purpose? then if I'm going to fulfill that purpose, I should be involved, I should be engaged, and I should be encouraging, and I should be supportive. Wow. Perfect, perfect. Barry, as a small note, but I think it's very important to make this point that David uh, turned gray in his early 30s, and still to this day, he blames that on the years that he was working for me at that time, and I would like to make that note that that has absolutely nothing to do uh, with the truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I was 23, started going gray, working with him. So, uh, uh, but it, it, yeah, you know, the, the, the beauty is we're really in a fun industry. You, you have to, you know, remember that and, and, and keep the, 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 the fun in it. But it is time for our industry to grow up, pay better, have better surroundings, better benefits, uh, you know, give people, you know, quality of life. Uh, I think that's going to be a, 
a huge, huge shift in a, a you know, we're the only country that there, there's a map of this that went out about the great resignation. Do you know that we're the only country listed that presents no data for any mandatory paid time off? Every other country has mandatory paid time off in, in some sense mm-hmm. or, or, or data. We, we don't have anything that, that, that states that. Mm-hmm. That's kind of interesting because I think yeah. what's also shifted in people's minds of COVID is what's really important to them how they want to live their lives. And, and we've seen this over time, but, you know, generationally, we're looking at people that want more experiences, more travel. They're, you know, they're willing to live in a tiny house. They're living to do things differently to have a different style of life. And the message I think has gotten really clear, you know, generationally that I want to live life now. Mm-hmm. So they watch most right. of us say, if I work hard and build my career, then I can. That, that may not have been the best lesson that we've learned. No. no, and it sounds like if operators will pay attention to that trend and if they'll follow some of the principles that you, uh, that you laid out so clearly today, uh, then we will be able to make the necessary changes. We'll be able to be stronger because of it. So thanks again. Thank you so much for sharing your steps on uh, staff and management development. You know, this is the kind of topic we could have probably had a couple more hours on or even a half a day seminar. Easily, easily. But we, but we kind of have to wrap up. So Barry and I certainly thank you. And to all of our listeners, we want to let you know that uh, uh, to pay close attention to restaurantowner.com and Restaurant Startup and Growth, there's going to be a lot more follow-up on leadership training and management development. Absolutely. Hey, thank you, David. I really appreciate it. No, my pleasure. I'll start preparing part, uh, you know, two and part three. Sounds good. (laughs) And thank you to all listening. We hope that we can uh, see you real soon on another corner booth. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. We'd like to thank Touch Bistro for sponsoring this episode. Touch Bistro provides an all-in-one POS and restaurant management platform for venues of all sizes, from food trucks to fine dining. Go to touchbistro.com to find out how Touch Bistro can solve your restaurant technology challenges today. Thank you for joining us on The Corner Booth. We'll be back next Tuesday with more inspiration, insights, and industry best practices to help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business.